Chapter 13, Part 3, from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Last Sunday was the beginning of Advent. I don't know how many of you really follow that, but it's, it's sort of the beginning, sort of the process of us welcoming Jesus into our life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came as a little baby. And so the Advent season is important on the Christian calendar. And it's amazing because, you know, our culture and the modern world in which we live in today, we have found ways to capitalize on holy days like Advent. Right? And so for a lot of us, when we think about Christmas, when we think about the season, yes, we think about the coming of Jesus Christ. But if we're really honest, we also think about the gifts we're going to buy for our loved ones. Right? We're going to think about what we're going to get for them. Now, for some of you, you plan ahead. Some of you, like how, how many of you are like already done with your Christmas shopping? Can I see your hands? How many of you like actually finished? Oh, my God, there's one. Okay, how many of you are like me, you haven't even shopped for a gift yet? Anyone? Yeah, that's me. I haven't even shopped for a gift yet. All right, so we're kind of on the same boat here. But we love giving gifts. We love receiving gifts, right? But can I ask you, what was the worst gift you ever received? What was the worst gift you ever received as a present? For me, I still remember it was like yesterday. I was probably like in first or second grade. I was living in Queens at the time, and my... (laughs) And my mother, I woke up in the morning excited to receive my Christmas gift. And you know what she brought me? She brought me a pair of black formal polyester socks. I mean, I couldn't believe what. Wait, did your mom do that? I mean, I'm just wondering, like, what happened? Like, I'm a little kid. Like, who buys their kid a pair of black formal polyester socks for Christmas? I'm like, at least, like, buy me a pair of white cotton socks. Like, well, I'm not going to even wear this, right? And so what I didn't know back in those days, my family was really poor. And so I'm sure it pained my mother because that was all she probably could afford. And that's what she got for me for Christmas. But I was just kind of like, wow, I can't believe this is all you got me for Christmas. And I looked very, very disappointed. And so holidays like this are opportunities for us to maybe show some love to the people by giving them a gift. And sometimes, unfortunately, the world is not really able to really show love because we often don't pursue the one who is the creator of it, which is God. And so sometimes the best we could ever do is actually buy somebody a gift, and that's really the best way we can show love to them because we're not really connecting with the one who is the creator of love, who is Jesus Christ. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to continue in our series in John. And for some of you, this might be an unusual twist. But Jesus is actually going to teach us how you and I can love one another, which is really key and critical. And I don't know about you, but it's really hard to love people. Anyone think it's easy? Man, it's hard, isn't it? Man, it's really hard to love people. Man, it's hard to love people in my family. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard to love people in this church. It's hard. And so Jesus on the day in which he was going to be betrayed and eventually crucified, gives one of the greatest gifts he could have ever given to his disciples. He teaches them how to love, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to require a lot. And he actually says, this is for you too, the church. All right, so let's see what Jesus has to say and how we can learn to love one another. John chapter 13, verses 31 and 38. John 13, 31 and 38. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. As soon as Judas left the room, 
Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. Now circle the word glory, and then every time you see it, you can circle it or underline it. And God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, let me just stop there for one second. When Jesus addresses the disciples as dear children, I mean, we think like, why would he address adults as children? If I called you dear children, some of you would be offended by that, right? But what you need to know back in rabbinic times in the first century, this was actually a way of addressing affection. It was a term of endearment that Jesus uses. So when Jesus says dear children to the disciples, he's basically saying, I love you. The people that I love, hear me on this, right? So he says, dear children, I will be with you a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love, now on the line or circle the word love. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you would deny three times that you even know me. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to you, Lord. And um, Lord, we love this idea of loving and being loved, but it's so hard to do it. It really is a challenge. And I just pray that you'll just help us and guide us right now as we look at this text. Lord, I pray this would be a holy moment, that you would speak to us and teach us, God, how we could be better lovers for your people, God. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. And so what we see here in the story is that Judas leaves the room now to betray Jesus Christ. And once he exits the room, Jesus teaches the disciple really about two major things here in this passage. Glory and love. And what we're going to learn today is that God's glory and love actually go hand in hand. They work simultaneously together. There's a lot of synergy that comes from it. And when that word is introduced in verse 31, the word glory, it's already in the past tense. And that's critical. That's important. Because when a verb is in the past tense already, when something is in the past tense, it's already saying that it's already there. So when Jesus says glory, I will receive glory from the Father, he's saying he's already received the glory from the Father. Some of you are saying, but how can that be? He hasn't died on the cross yet. I know he hasn't died on the cross yet, but he will receive more glory when he dies on the cross and resurrects from the dead. But Jesus is making a powerful statement. He's saying that I've already received the glory of God. Now, how does he receive the glory of God? This is something that you and I should hear because I hope that you too will live a life where God will begin to glorify you or the glory of God begins to live in your life. How are we to position ourselves in a place where the glory of God just emanates and radiates outward in our life? What did Jesus do? It was through his obedience. Because Jesus perfectly obeyed God, God's glory rested upon him. And so when Jesus was obeying God, hear this, he was glorifying God through his obedience, but at the same time, God's glory was radiating through him. Amen? Amen. And so when you and I choose to obey God, 
It's not so that you can be holy. When you and I choose to live in obedience, we're glorifying God. But at the same time, that glory radiates in our life. It emanates through us. And there is a symbiotic relationship that Jesus has with the Father because they share glory together. So what does that word glory mean? All right, and I guess the direct translation in the Greek, it means praise or honor. But the best translation really when it talks about God glorifying us, it's a manifestation of God's splendor. So when God is glorifying you, he's not praising you in the sense. When you and I praise and honor God, we bring glory unto him through our obedience. But when God's glory begins to live in us, when God glorifies us, it's a manifestation of his splendor in your life and in my life. Isn't that beautiful? Has God glorified you yet? Have you ever encountered the glory of God? Have you encountered God glorifying you? Have you encountered a season in your life where there was a manifestation of his splendor upon you? Have you ever encountered that before? God wants to do that, but it requires us to live our life in glory, uh, in obedience so that he can glorify us. Our glory occurs when God's radiance, when God's radiance is glory through us. Uh, We were at a staff retreat a couple weeks ago and, uh, you know, we go on a staff retreat every year. We do. And, uh, but for this was probably my favorite staff meeting of all. And uh, part of it was because we just sensed the glory of God. We, this, we sensed this splendor upon each and every one of our lives. And so, like, early in the Moesa picture, we stayed at this amazing place up in uh, Champaign, New York, through Catrice's Connections. And this place was amazing. We spent two days together there, two, two nights, three days. It was just such a great time. And, and Wednesday was the full day. I got up early in the morning and I was just kind of preparing because we had a full day of like teaching, some things I want to do with the staff. And I was praying. God said to me, he said, Peter, I need you to ask the staff what makes them sad today. I just thought, but God, like I have a full agenda here. I have a lot of stuff. I was like, I don't know if I can squeeze that in. It's amazing how we sometimes tell God we can't do it. But he says, you need to do this. And the reason why I didn't want to do it, because I'm kind of known at these staff retreats to make the staff cry. And I didn't want to do that. I don't want to do that again, all right? And there was this one time we did a staff retreat. We cried for about three and a half hours straight. And they were just so exhausted afterwards. Like, I've got nothing left to give. So I'm like, God, you want me to ask this question? I don't know if I want to do this. But of course I obeyed. I had a full slate of what I wanted to accomplish, but we put that on hold. And I said, what makes you sad today? And I was not prepared. I honestly wasn't prepared for the courage that people had to share what truly made them sad. I was blown away by the depth of sharing that occurred that morning. There was a radiance of God's glory, his splendor that just came in that room. And we encountered that and we allowed ourselves to draw closer to God but to one another through the deep level of sharing. It was just really powerful. You had to be there. And the depth of sharing was something that we only knew that because it was a holy moment, we could share. Some of the stuff was heart-wrenching. I also uh, broke up the staff into groups of four. And we also prayed that the Holy Spirit would baptize us. And that was amazing that we just laid hands on each other and said, would you fill this person with the power of the Holy Spirit? It was God's glory, his splendor. And that's what he wants for you and I. 
He wants us to get to a place in our lives where we would obey him, not so that we can think we're good Christians, but that we obey him so that we could glorify him. And that his glory then would come and rest in our lives where his splendor, there'd be a manifestation of his splendor. But it's not going to happen until you and I are willing to be obedient. And so how are we to be obedient? Jesus gives us a new command, he says here, in verses 34 to 35. Let's just go there. Here's what he says. This is what he wants you and I to obey today. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I'm going to read that one more time, okay? So now I am giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now Jesus being very specific here. He's not saying that you and I are to love everyone. He's saying that you are to love each other, the body of Christ, which is the church. This is the disciples. Jesus says one of your greatest tasks, one of my greatest tasks, is that we are to learn to love each other here in the church because this is the place where Jesus Christ is the head. This is the place where the majority of the people here, and we also give room for people to investigate sort of their faith in God or potentially give their lives to Jesus. We give you space to to do that. But this is the place where we come together because we know that Jesus is our king. And we believe in him to be our Lord and Savior. So he's being very specific here. He's saying that you are to love each other the way I have loved you. But for what? Because I know a lot of you, you love the idea of being loved. You love the idea of being loved. And there's nothing wrong. Nobody would disagree. Like, no, 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 no. We should love each other that way. But understand the motivation that we need to have. We aren't to love ourselves so that we can feel good. You aren't to love other people so that you can feel good about yourself in this church. Our primary motivation of why we should love is so that the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, that needs to be our motivation of why we choose to love each other today. It shouldn't be so that we can be loved back. It shouldn't be so that we can feel good about ourselves. It shouldn't be because, yeah, God did wire us in a way to be loved in that way. And for some of us, we've been so neglected in our lives for so many decades after decades that you're just longing to be loved. I get it. I get it. I know you want that. Those are desires that God has given to you. But our primary motivation of why you and I should choose to love one another today, no matter how difficult it must be, so that when the world sees it, they're going to say Jesus is real. Those are his disciples. Our primary job description as disciples, hear me on this, is to love one another in the church. That's the job of a disciple. It isn't just going leading people to Jesus Christ. That's important. We talk about that a lot. But Jesus is saying here what's important, this is a new command. You want to learn to really love each other in that way. Growing up, I grew up in a dysfunctional family, physically abusive home. My family was dysfunctional. Unfortunately, it still is pretty dysfunctional. And uh, when I used to like go to amusement parks, and when I used to like just see like families hanging out, and like especially when I would go to like amusement parks, and like the dad would like hold the kids, their son or daughter's hand, and like I'll see at times like when the dad will pick up the child and put it on their shoulder, put him on their shoulder, and the kid is just laughing because you know the dad is trying to like go woo and like turning around, and the kid is having the time of his life. Even though he's at an amusement park, he's on the best ride because he's on the shoulder of his father. When I would watch that and see that, I would say, I wish that was my family. I wish I could be a part of a family where a father would love me that much where he'll just put me on his shoulder and just play with me like that. 
The church is supposed to love each other at a, at, with a love that the world can't even comprehend. And when people outside the church sees the way we love each other, the goal is that they're going to say, man, I wish I could be a part of that. I need that in my life. Because there's such a poverty of love that I have not been experiencing in my own life. And that they'll know that these are people who are true disciples of Jesus because they take this seriously. You know, the best the world has to offer us is for us to be social when we enter into relationships with each other. We can have fun together. We can have parties and enjoy each other's company. But we can't really love each other because Jesus Christ is the creator of love. And so we need to go to him within that, right? Our world is so fractured today. There's so much hate. There's so much violence. There's so many wars, right? Betrayals. Sunita talked about that last Sunday that we see here within our world. It happens not just within our world, but it happens in the church as well. And that's a sad reality. The sad reality is, if we're going to be honest, most churches, we're just trying to love each other the way the world tries to love each other. And that's why it gets chaotic. And if we're honest, there's so much disunity in the church today. There's a church in Bergen County, it's a true story, that police were called to break up a fight that broke out in an elders meeting in a church here in Bergen County. That's how ugly it got. That it got so physically violent that police had to come to break it up. I have a friend who's got a pastor friend out in San Francisco. This happened years ago. The church was so dysfunctional that when he attended an elders meeting with the elder, the elder pulled out a gun and he put it on the table and he said, listen, today all of you are going to say yes to whatever I want for this church. That pastor quit. He didn't quit like right then and there because he didn't want to get shot. All right? But he said yes to everything he wanted. And then when he left, he never came back. He's like, I'm not going to die for this. And it's no wonder why sometimes when people are part of the church, they see it, they witness it, and they say, I don't know if I want to be a part of church because these people actually hate each other. There is no love here. And they want to walk away because they see the disunity that's happening, right? And then why then would people outside the church, people who aren't Christians, why would they even want to come and be a part of this dysfunctional family where we don't even rely upon God? Right? Of course they're going to say, no, I don't want anything to do with that church. Churches are messed up. It's more painful than being in the world. Right? And so they will never want to be a part of this. And so Jesus is saying something that's really important. He wants his disciples to know this because he knows it's not easy to love one another in this church. It is a challenge. So he's saying, do what I've done. Love one another the way I have loved you. And so how do we do that then? How do, what does he give us in this passage to help us to begin to love each other in that way? You ready for this? The first thing is this. We love one another when we are committed to serving each other. You and I love one another when you are committed to serving each other in the church. Let's look at verse 34 and 35 again. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus says that this is a new command. Love each other as I have loved you. That's why it's a new command. Because he's saying you are to love each other the way I've loved you. And how did Jesus love the disciples in chapter 13? He became a slave. He rolled up his sleeves. He took off his robe and he washed his disciples' feet. Right? He did that. What did he also do in chapter 13? He gives his betrayer, Judas, food to eat. He hands it to him 
and says, here, take this food. He serves them. So what Jesus is communicating, the, the new way of loving, he's saying is not just serving, but your service must be sacrificial. There's got to be sacrifice to your serving. If there's no sacrifice to your serving, then you're not really loving each other. There has to be some level of sacrifice. And so this new command that Jesus gives to us to love, he's saying love each other as you serve and sacrifice for each other. That's what he's saying. If we want to do this, if we want to truly be a church where we can love each other, where people from the outside can say, wow, these people are disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus must be real. We have to get to a place in our own lives where we are going to commit to serving and sacrificing for one another in the church here. We have to be willing to do that. And when you think about Advent, that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus served us and sacrificed from the moment when he he was in heaven and he was called on this mission to empty his divine powers and become a human being and enter this world as a fragile, vulnerable baby. He served us, but it had deep sacrifice. And it continued when he served us by dying for us on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. And so he wants you and I in the church to serve one another that sacrifices. Now that's not easy, but that's what he calls us to do. The best way to start this, because some of you are thinking, well, then how can I really do this? What do I need to do? Here's the best way, kind of put the training wheels on. It's the best way. Serve in a church. Serve in a ministry here in the church. When you decide to serve in a ministry, you are serving and sacrificing for the people of God. You're showing that you love them. It's a way in how you do it. Now, a lot of you who may not be serving, I'm not trying to point fingers. It's not what it's about. Really, it's not. Some of you have real important reasons why you can't for this season of your life. I get it. You might have a little baby at home. I get it. It might be a really hard season. But the majority of us that aren't serving, the reason why you're not serving is because you know it's a sacrifice. You don't have the time. And Jesus is saying this. He says, if you really want to obey me, because obedience is key for you to encounter God's glory, not, not only for you to glorify God, but that God's splendor will live inside of you and radiate through your life. He wants us to serve one another that requires sacrifice. So we have to be willing to do that with one another, be willing to serve each other that allows us to sacrifice for each other. All right, so many of us, honestly, when we sort of leave a church and we try to find another church and we do that thing called church shopping, I hate, those, I hate that phrase. <laughs> but we always say, well, you know what? I gotta go to a place where I could be spiritually fed. I get it. I get it. I know that's important. I'm not denying that. Some of us say, well, I gotta go to a place where they have a great children's ministry. I get that too. I understand that. And then some of us say, well, i got to go to a place where I can find a husband and a wife because I don't know where to find a Christian to marry these days. I get that too. I understand that, all right? I'm not saying those aren't important. But you know, the church would have a revival when the majority of its people say, you know what, can I, is this a place where I can serve and sacrifice for the people of God? If Christians start finding churches like that, there would be a revival in the church because we would begin to love each other the way Christ loved the church and its people. When we do that, we're not only obeying and bringing God glory, but then God's glory radiates in our life and people see us and they say, you know what? Those are disciples because they love, not the way we can love here in this world. They love with a whole different kind of love. Uh, Our elders got together for a a gathering last week. We just hung out um, and we went to a 
uh, activate at the American Dream Mall. Highly recommend it, but you got to make sure you are uh, somewhat physically fit to do it because by the time it's over, you are completely exhausted. So we had a great time. That's our elder group. And, uh, and then we went out for dinner afterwards at the mall. And Jorge, the guy right to my left, right, with the guy with the Under Armour sweatshirt, uh, he said to me, he said, Peter, during dinner, he said, do you know um, when Christina was in the third grade, I was her teacher at Metro Kids. I was like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And he said, but you know what's even cooler about that? Christina, this summer, taught my kids in Metro Kids. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. As he sacrificed and served my children, my children encountered that love, and they have now decided to sacrifice and serve his children. And, you know, I'm so grateful because my daughter... And I'm so glad she's not here at first service. She'll be here second service. So I might have to change it up a little bit. She said, stop talking about me, right? But I'm, I'm really thankful because um, I have a lot of pastor friends. A lot of their kids aren't Christians much anymore. They don't go to church. I am so grateful that my daughter still actually loves coming. I don't force her to come here. I actually told her, you can go to another church. You don't have to come to Metro. But she wants to be here. Her faith is really important to her. Even when she graduated high school, she decided to be a leader at InterVarsity in college. She served there for four years. And you know why she's done that? It's because you have invested in her. There are so many of you that have given yourself to teach these kids the Bible and the way of Jesus on Sundays and help to form their spiritual backbone so that when they get older and they become an adult, they would actually want to continue to follow the path of following Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. You pay that forward and then they will go and do the same for others as well. And so can I encourage you to think about that? Don't join a ministry or say you got to serve because we need you. I mean, we do need you, but don't let that be your primary motivation. The primary motivation of why we do this is so that the world will know that we're disciples for Jesus Christ. So that the world will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm really excited and I want to embarrass people here, but we've been really trying to start a men's ministry for many, many years. <laughs> With staff leading it too, and it, not, it has not been successful. I'm really excited about guys like Michael Yang and Bruce Buchanan, Daniel Lee, Dennis Kwan, Wesley Nam, who are stepping up to lead the men's ministry and lead them in a way where they've set up this really unique discipleship program for the men. And if you're a dude here and this is your church, I want to really encourage you for 2024, make it a point to be a part of this ministry. But I'm just excited to see that there are men in the church are saying, we need a men's ministry. I will sacrifice. These guys are all busy. They don't have to do this. But they're saying, I will sacrifice because I love the men in this church. And I want to pour into them the best I can. That's the model that we need to have for each other. Every single one of us can learn to serve each other through sacrifice. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. Second, we love one another when we are committed, not just by serving each other, but speaking the truth to each other. Oh, man, this is going to be hard. Here we go. Verse 36. Verse 36. Simon Peter asked, Lord, are, where are you going? Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you're going to follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. One of the best ways in how we can love one another is that when we're actually in relationships with people, when you have relationships with people in this church and you love each other and you have a, relation and a commitment to be in a relationship with each other, 
We need to be sharing truth. Speak truth into each other's lives. But the reality is we never do that. Right? And when you think about this, why did Jesus share truth to Peter at this moment? I mean, Peter really loved him. And even though Peter was just a little always, you know, he always like thought he was better than he really was. And he said to Jesus, I, I, I will die for you. That's how much I love you, Jesus. I mean, he really meant it. You can't fault him for that. Right? So then why did Jesus say, no, you're going to deny me three times by tomorrow morning before the rooster crows? Why did P Jesus do that? Was it to hurt him? Was it to be passive aggressive towards him? No. Do you know why Jesus shared that truth with him? It's because he loved him. He was in a deep, committed relation with him. He knew that when Peter does deny him, that it's going to overwhelm him. And he didn't want him to be like Judas, who would eventually take his life. He wanted Peter to remember that in the moment that when that rooster crows, Peter went away heartbroken. But he also remembered, but Jesus still loved him when he knew he was going to do it. Jesus didn't leave him. He didn't walk away from him and say, you're going to deny me three times. I'm so angry with you and walk away. He still loved on him and he was still with him. Even up until his betrayal, Peter was there with him, took out the sword and cut the ear of the, of the soldiers off. He didn't say, get away from me. You're going to deny me. I don't want you to be with me. Peter was there. That was important for Peter because, so that he could know that even though Jesus knew he, this was going to happen, he still loved me and he stayed with me side by side. And that was how Peter was able to forgive himself for that sin. And that was how Peter was able to start the greatest movement this world has ever known, which is the church. And that's why when you read Acts, the first couple chapters, Peter's a different person because Jesus loved him so much because he spoke truth into his life. Amen. You see, when you and I speak truth into each other's lives, what we have to do and we have to be reminded is this. You don't just drop a truth bomb on somebody and walk away and don't even engage with them anymore. If you're, if you're going to share truth with someone, you got to be committed to being in that relationship. you got to be committed to being present with them no matter what. And that's why you're sharing truth with them. See, that kind of truth-telling is beautiful. It's something that builds up the body. And you know what Paul the Apostle says? That kind of truth-telling, when you and I do that within the church, we actually become more like Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in Ephesians 4.15. Instead, we would speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. When you and I speak truth in love to one another, you know what's happening? We're becoming more like Christ. We're growing and growing more like Christ who is the head of the church. See, this is why I think why the church doesn't love each other anymore, that we really struggle because we're just like the world. You know why the world doesn't share truth? Because we live in a broken world. We live in such a broken, fragmented world, but we live in a culture today where we have to be perfect and strong. Like when you go to work, you cannot be weak. You cannot be broken because you might get fired if you do that. So you put on this front, you put on this strength, and we think that all along in life, we have to pretend to be this perfect person, and this is what we have to sort of portray. And then we bring that into this church, and then we try to do that within the church. We try to be perfect, and if somebody starts to share some truth into our lives, we feel like they're attacking us, that they're hurting us, and that says more about you than it does about the person sharing the truth, especially if they're committed to you, and they love you, and they loved you enough to share that truth. Right? It says more about you because the devil wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that they're attacking you. The devil wants you to believe that your job in this world is to portray an image of perfection. But you're not perfect. You're messed up. Do you know that? I'm messed up. We're all messed up. It's okay. Peter was messed up. Jesus told him you're messed up. But he says, I still love you. And I'll be here with you. 
And my hope in prayer is that you would surround yourself with some people in this church that will love you so much, that would speak truth into your life, that when you hear it, you take it as a term of endearment. That that's like one of the greatest ways in how you feel like people can love you today. Those who you have a close relationship with. And so will you speak truth this week to somebody in this church? You know, married couples, if you could learn to do this in your marriage when you're not fighting, because I don't know why we share truth to each other when we're married, when we're fighting. When that truth comes out, it comes out with so much venom. Its intent is to hurt and kill. It's not to help and build up. But when we can share truth with each other in love, man, that builds us up. It reminds us that we're not perfect. And it reminds us that because we're not perfect, we got to rely upon somebody who is perfect. And who is that? There's only one. It's Jesus Christ. You need somebody to speak truth into your life. And, you know, I've been talking about soulmates a lot. Some of you actually have soulmates. I'm so proud of you. But if your soulmates don't speak truth into your life, if you don't give them permission to speak truth into your life and you don't speak truth into their lives, they stink. That's not a good soulmate you got to sit down and sort of renegotiate this contract you entered into. <laughs> like, you're supposed to be there for each other. But you guys said, you got to start speaking truth into my life. I need to hear from you. Because you'll see things about me that I don't even see. It's an important thing. One of the best ways in how we love each other is to serve each other through service. But it's also to the ones that we're committed to, to sit down and speak some truth into each other's lives and love. And that we are to also receive that truth as well. When we do that, man, we're loving each other the way Jesus loved the disciples. And when we do that, people will see that and say, wow, these people truly do know who Jesus is. These are disciples, but this also shows me that Jesus Christ is our king. I hope that we're committed to each other by serving each other through the church. And our service is deeply connected with sacrifice, but also that we would love on each other so much that we would speak truth in love to each other, that we would build each other up so that we could become more and more like Jesus Christ. When we do that, we love each other, we live in that obedience, God's glory, we glorify Jesus through our obedience, but then Jesus glorifies us. His glory radiates in our life. There is a manifestation of God's splendor in our lives and in the life of this church. That's the image that he wants you and I to have. And that's what he's calling us to do. So at the staff, like earlier this year, I, in my st- at the first staff meeting, I led it. And I said to the staff, I said, listen, all of you have worked with each other for now what? Like some of you, even like 10 years. I said, I bet you everyone in this room, we were at the office, knows at least one or two blind spots of the staff. Like one or two areas that the staff needs to grow in. So I said, would you please, this year, in 2023, get together with at least one person and say, can you speak some truth into my life? So I encouraged them to do it, but none of them did it, right? So for this retreat, I paired them up so they could do it. They didn't have a choice, all right? So I paired them up. I sent the, I sent the list like a couple weeks before. I said, start praying and thinking, but we're going to have a time where we actually sit and we speak some truth into each other's life. 
All right? And so the staff was nervous. Some people were like, Peter, can you also give more detailed instructions? Like, there needs to be some affirmation before the truth is being told. I'm like, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Like, it's going to be cool. Don't worry. Because we all know we love each other. We're committed to being in a relationship with each other. All right? So I just said, let's just let it be organic. Let's see what happens. So Tim Chartier, my fellow Aussie friend here, uh, he was the guy that I pair myself with. And so I share some things with him. And he shared some things with me. And uh, one of the things I'll share, what he shared with me, I just loved it. I just saw, like, he really does care and love me. He says, I worry about you, Peter. I said, really? What do you worry about me about? He says, I worry about you because your friends are doing crazy, outstanding things. You got a guy like Pete Scazzaro who's written all these crazy bestseller books. You got a friend like Eugene Cho who's actually trying to end world hunger. You got a friend like Alex G, who's like the face of like social justice and he's like impacting his whole city of Madison. And he goes, I worry about you because I feel like I hope you never get to a place where you think like you got to sort of do more to live up to what they're doing. It's like you should never do that. He said, in fact, Peter, I think what you should do is don't lose your focus from this church. God is calling you to keep serving this church the best you can. Don't worry about what your friends do. Who cares what they do? Enjoy it, love it, affirm them. But God has called you to be the pastor, and let's do the best we can to lead this church and make it the best God has called it to be. Man, was that good. Wasn't that good? I was like, dang, Tim, you love me that much that you would share that? I was like, thank you, Tim. I paired up Pastor David Hosang and Steve Bang together. It's an unusual match, right? <laughs> And uh, they shared, but, you know, I, I got permission from Steve so I could share this, okay? You know what Dave said to Steve? David said, Steve, if you were Jesus Christ, you would not have chosen the 12 disciples. Let me explain. He said, you are really good at locating and hiring people for staff at this church that are already really talented. He says, the area that you need to grow in is to discover potential in people. Because the 12 that Jesus chose were all rejects. They were the greatest losers of their day. Jesus just didn't see that, but he saw something deeper in them. And they became the greatest leaders this world has ever known. That's powerful, isn't it? You see, after that was over, you would think people would be upset. Love was in the air. Glory. People were like, could we do this every year? I said, yeah, of course we can. You don't have to do it at staff retreat. You can just do this with people. Get together with them on staff and say, I need you to speak some truth into my life. But there's something about sharing truth that when you're in a relationship with somebody, being honest with them about errors that maybe they haven't seen, that really affirms how much God loves you and how much they love you. And the world is looking for that, Metro. But you and I have to be willing to do it. We have to realize that this church is a place where we have to learn to embrace our weaknesses. That's the mission that fulfills the vision of transformation. We're not going to be able to embrace our weaknesses just by us admitting what we think we have weaknesses in. The best way to fulfill that mission of our church is to also share the weaknesses that we see in the people that we love and are committed to. When we do that, there is a, there is a transformation that takes place because we realize how much people really do love us. And we grow 
and we learn and we become more and more like Jesus Christ. This world is daring us, daring the church to love the way Jesus loved. They want to see it because they've never really seen it. We're not going to do that unless we're willing to serve each other through sacrifice. And we're not going to do that unless we're willing to speak truth and love with one another. And so will you do that? Will you commit yourself to serving in this church? And will you commit yourself to speaking some truth into some people's lives in this church and also receive the truth that they would want to speak unto you? That's my hope and prayer for you. Let's pray. I think you need a little time with God right now. I'm just going to give, we have time today. But for those who aren't serving, would you just bring that before God? Why aren't you serving right now? And maybe would you be open to letting God speak to you in an area maybe where he may want you to serve in this church? And you're going to get a whole list of what those ministries could look like. But I think you need to go deeper and if you really want to take what Jesus says to his disciples 2,000 years ago, he says, a new command I give to you, love the way I have loved you. He wants you to serve. That requires sacrifice. So you begin to ask Jesus and say, Lord, where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to sacrifice and love on the people of God here? And the second thing is even more important. There are some people in your life that you have had relations with and people in this church. I want you to be very bold this week, and I want you to give them permission to speak truth into your life. But then I also want you to be able to speak that truth into their lives as well. That this would be reciprocal. It wouldn't just be you receiving truth, but you also would give truth to other people. And so let God place a name in your heart, a person in this church that can do that for you. And if you get called upon to do it this week, just know that when you do this, you're becoming more like Christ. And I, I believe it requires a lot of courage from you because we have this sort of this understanding that we can't do this because we're so afraid that we're going to hurt someone. The enemy wants you to believe that it's going to hurt people. But I pray that you would know that it's going to help them to love more and to grow and to be more like Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to give you a moment to pray for service in this church, maybe process it with God why you're not doing it, and also maybe God will give you a name of someone that you can ask, can you speak truth into me and can I do it for you? All right, why don't you just go to God and I'll pray for you at the end. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So God, I pray that you would help us to do this. Lord, I thank you that there was such a symbiotic relationship you had with the Father because you chose to obey him no matter what. 
And even before you died on the cross, there was glory that you were already living in because through your obedience. And Lord, I pray that we would take that seriously too, God. That we would know that you are a king. And when you give us a commandment, you want us to obey it because it's a command. It's not an option. And so, God, I pray that if you've already spoken to these men and women in this room and maybe those who are watching of a ministry that maybe they can start to participate and serve in, God, that they would, no matter what the sacrifice requires. And God, I pray especially for those that have never in their lives been ever in a relationship where somebody actually spoke truth into them. God, I pray that they would begin this now because part of their ability to embrace weakness is to embrace the weaknesses that people speak of them so they can learn and grow from it and be more like you. So God, I pray that you'll just guide our church. Would you help us to do this to, for, with one another? Would you build up this church so that the world will look at it and know that you are truly our Lord and King and that we are your disciples. So thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.